Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Christian Cruz Limsico from Amsterdam, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and thank you to Dristian in Amsterdam for your intro and for your support in the year 2020. Uh, what a year it's been. Uh, it's been three whole days since our last tennis podcast and very little tennis has happened in the intervening time. So we thought, why not do another one? Um, <laughs> just to update you on uh, tennis news from that three-day period, we've been denied Dominic team against Stan Warinka. Yes, I'm pronouncing it Warinka. Apparently we've been pronouncing his name wrong for the past 15 years so I'm just going to keep saying it correctly over and over to try and uh, make amends he's, for he's just got to play <laughs> another 15 years. years to balance it up yes now. it turns out Andy Murray was getting it right all along I can't believe we ever doubted him so uh Christian Garin has denied us Warinka against team because uh, he got the better of Warinka Dominic team the defending champion is still in Novak Djokovic won his first round match against Filip Krajinovic which means that Djokovic has secured the year end number one ranking for a sixth time in his career provided big caveat here that Rafael Nadal doesn't enter to play the tournament in Sofia, which I hope I'm not speaking out of term when I say I think is unlikely. Uh, although he has confirmed he intends to play Paris and London, which is uh, also unexpected. So who knows? Sofia, don't get your hopes up, but stranger things have happened. Um, we've also had a couple of stories break in the past 48 hours off the court, both of them surrounding Alexander Zverev, both of them coming as uh, a real shock and surprise uh, to the tennis world. The first of them, uh, the news that his ex-girlfriend Brenda Patea, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, is expecting a baby. We understand she's expecting Alexander Zverev's uh, baby. She's, uh, first of all, there was an Instagram post. She subsequently... Um, done an interview in Germany where she's she's stated that she won't be seeking uh, joint custody but uh, Zverev is welcome to be uh, involved um, with raising the child if he should wish. We have got a, a statement from Alexander Zverev that's come out um, this evening uh, that I'll share with you in in just a moment but it, it, that statement also covers uh, the second story uh, which is broken today regarding Zverev which is um, rather 
distressing. It is an accusation of domestic violence um, from his former girlfriend, Olya Sharapova, um, who many news outlets, uh, including The Telegraph and The Daily Mail in the UK, um, are reporting on. She was in a relationship with Alexander Zverev until last year. She claims he hit her head against the wall and tried to strangle her, um, which is obviously hugely, hugely um, distressing a thing to hear. Um we have had a statement from Zverev, as I said, just uh, just in the last half an hour or so, and it reads thus. The last days were quite challenging for me. I will be a father at age 23, and I am very much looking forward to the child. Even though Brenda and I are no longer together, we have a good relationship and I will live up to my responsibility as a father. Together we will take care of the little person that is about to grow. I don't want to say more in public about this private subject. I'm sure that Brenda and I can manage it without the media involved. Then there are the unfounded accusations of my ex-girlfriend Olga Sharapova, which I read in the media today. They make me very sad. We have known each other since we were children and shared many experiences together. I very much regret that she makes such statements because the accusations are simply not true. We had a relationship, but it ended a long time ago. ago. Why Olga is making these accusations now, I just don't know. I really hope that the two of us will find a way to deal with each other again in a reasonable and respectful way. So that is where we're at with that story. I don't know if there'll be any any further developments. It's obviously something that is... um, really made the the tennis sports news world sit up and and pay attention uh, as and when you know there is news and developments we will we will keep you across them but um that's obviously a hugely uh, distressing story to to read and hear about but um yeah we are going to move on to slightly happier well hopefully happier topics it depends what uh what comes out in the bag of questions, doesn't it? You've been sending in your questions in there. I'm going to say dozens. Does dozens feel right, Matt? Can you say hundreds if it's over 100 but less than 200? Yeah. I don't think you can. I think it needs to be more mm. than 200. Mm. Dozens, it is. Dozens. Dro- what about droves? Yes. It's I, enough, I isn't think it? droves, droves is a, a non-specific large quantity so thank you for your droves of questions um the overall quality has been extremely high and we've had to have a very stringent selection process so many apologies if your question hasn't made the cut um we will of course be doing future any questions show so there'll be other chances for you to get your questions answered i mean we've we've agreed amongst ourselves to do about four thousand podcasts between now and the end of the year so i'm sure there'll be other any questions shows popping up but uh we're gonna start i'm gonna i'm gonna fire some questions at you folks great ready well you're gonna answer them as well i hope (laughs) (laughs) um so we're going to start with a nice easy one uh it comes from moines this came in on instagram and it is who is the best at tennis Uh, and i assume moines means out of matt david and catherine and not out of people in the world because the answer to that is at the moment novak Djokovic. um so if you're talking about myself matt and david i'm going to say matt 
Yeah, but it depends on the era, doesn't it? You know, are we talking right now? Sorry. In 1988, you were better at tennis than I was, David, yes? Correct. Um, right. No, but if we were to go back just a few years, for instance, I mean... Oh, you know, peak is there a win- peak. Yeah, it weighs there a window when you I think were my, injured or something. I think at my peak, I m- might have a decent game against Matt. When were your peak, Catherine? Well, pre-back operation. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Well, Ka- I mean, Catherine played against me in 2014, in December 2014. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we we only played a, a 10-point tie break. And I, and I won twice. You won twice. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I needed Hawkeye really uh, to, yeah. to to come into to play. Um, my eyes failed me on a particular line call, and I caused some aggro. Um, but actually, I, I mean, having I'm the only one who's played both of you. Yeah, right? that is that. And is I would true. say so. Mm. I played 2014, Catherine. Have you been much better than you were in that sort of time? Yeah, yeah. you have definitely. That was not me at my best, and I will concede reluctantly david that that probably wasn't you at your best either no, i would no. like to think given my memories of that day that that was neither of us at our best <laughs> <laughs> look i mean there's no question you would both thrash me if you're playing well either one of you because because i'm not i've not really been i'm sort of self-taught really i've had a couple of lessons but i mean i am a hacker really I've, i don't really know what i'm doing half the time um but, <laughs> but uh i would quite like to see a match between the two of you if you both played your best because you've got you you both got strokes that i sort of look at and they look they look proper strokes to me you know that's the difference i will try and re-peak if you can just maintain your peak, Matt, I'll attempt to, to re-summit mine. I'm going to save you here, Matt, because you can't say yourself, but I know you, I know you want to say yourself. <laughs> well, as, as David right. said, I've not seen you play, but I do think I'm better than David. <laughs> I would still like, I'd like to have a rematch with you there, Matt. Now, now, I'd like to play you on that artificial grass surface that you refuse to play on. Um, and, uh, and with me at my... Solihull Simon beating best. Doesn't the belt holder sort of set the conditions mm. of the next match? Mm. No. And if I had, we had traveled, no back we injury traveled as to well. Dorridge for the last one, David. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no injuries yeah, well, at the moment. Let's 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 get it on. <laughs> to be fair, I haven't right, played right. since then. Right. Well, tomorrow. <laughs> Whereas David's been thrashed by his kids on a regular basis. <laughs> right. I, I got beaten by a 14 year old last week. <laughs> the next question comes in from uh, Ross McLeod, who's a, a regular listener uh, of and co- contributed to uh, the pod. He says Would either tour benefit from an FA Cup style non seeded draw? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes, Ross. Yeah, but uh, pro- but not for every tournament. I mean, no, no, just as a as a novelty one tournament a yeah, year thing. One hundred percent, I'd love that. Mm. Uh, where where should that happen? I mean, for a start, I think that should definitely happen at the ATB and WTA finals. I don't think there should be seedings yes, when you've got eight so seed, players. Absolutely, yes, I'd agree with that. Um, the 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 issue is that tournaments would never support it because they they want a system that that guarantees or not guarantees but likely secures them their bigger names longer into the tournament doesn't it they don't want to increase the risk that Roger Federer loses early um so 
I think it's unlikely to happen for that reason. The the players with the most power are the top-ranked players. They wouldn't want it. So as much as I think it's a no-brainer in terms of entertainment and, and what the what the spectator would enjoy, I can't unfortunately see it ever happening. Ross has drawn a distinction there or maybe drawn a distinction between the different tours. Would either tour benefit? Is it possible that the way the tours are quite different at the moment, where the men's, we've got a, a group of dominant players. I actually think the way tournaments are scheduled at the moment for years has, has benefited that style in terms of ensuring that most likely the best players are going to meet in the later rounds, the high state matches when most people are watching. So I think kind of for the, it's been for the good of tennis, if you like, that draws have had seeds and Djokovic, Nadal, Federer and Murray have met each other late in tournaments. But I don't know when it's more open, like we've seen in the women's game more recently, perhaps that would favour this a bit more. But then I'm, I'm kind of thinking you've already got that a little bit. Seeds are kind of irrelevant in, yeah. in when it's so open that I think that's what we like so much about women's Grand Slams is that the first week, so many matches feel relevant to the outcome of the tournament which hasn't happened in men's tennis for a while I would say you get matches where you just kind of know that well neither player's really got a chance of winning this tournament but in the women's game so many players have got a chances I suppose this is an argument in favor of not having seeds that you could get more matches like that early on at the start of an event here's where I think that that the I don't agree Catherine that that a tournament should feel that they are letting go of their selling point. To me, it is a selling point on its own. Oh, uh, I don't agree either. I just think that that resistance would be encountered and it I'm would just probably surprised, be fatal. Though, you know, at a time when you've got people just trying to almost reinvent the game and going, in my opinion, way too far, like, mm. like UTS and things like that. And why not just have what is really quite a subtle change, but a fantastic selling point of difference to say we are we are the gloves off tour we are the handbrake is off this at uh, this tournament there's no there's none of that there's no protecting of seeds of players of rankings you're in the draw you come out you play your match stop whinging you know what a brilliant selling point that would be but it would rely on sign up from big players because the novelty doesn't really apply if you've got all players that wouldn't be high seeds yeah. at tournaments anyway and I, I think they would they would be put off they'd rather play you know if there were another tournament available that week and look, I think it needs to be a Masters it, tournament they would, they would, or something like that you it know. would need to be a Masters it would need to be either obligatory a mandatory or it would need to have massive money behind it to pay yeah. guarantees I just feel like there's, there's, there's so many tournaments that have come along or platforms and um, over the last year, including all the team events, and yet so many of them are just, they're basically the same tournaments. They're just called something different or a different week or in a different city. You could just really do something if you if you made that effort and just decided we're going to market this. And, right, Miami, okay, Indian Wells is, everybody's banging on about how wonderful Indian Wells is. Right, well, Miami's the Anything Goes tournament. Mm. Mm. Somebody do it. Come on. <laughs> We've done the big sell. It's a no-brainer. You mentioned the ATP finals and, and the WTA finals. I 
don't like round robin in tennis. I mean, I don't really like it in anything, but I know it's a selling point for the tournament in that they can guarantee players being in the draw for a certain amount of time and kind of selling sessions in advance. People know they're going to see the best players, but I've always thought that tennis works best when it's just straight knockout. And I personally would like to see the year-end finals have a different format just from a viewing perspective. I just think something needs to be done to slightly shake them up and make them slightly more interesting. And mm. there's, there's very little I wouldn't do in order to eliminate dead rubbers mm. from uh, round-robin events. Top 16, knockouts, no seeds. Yeah, it's just mm. so counter to everything that's wonderful about sport. It feels like my sporting soul is dying when I'm watching a dead It's like dead Champions rubber. League in, in football when they have those group stages that I just take no notice of until they get into the knockout stages. Mm. Yeah. Yes, to, to, to a degree, I suppose, yeah. But anyway, we're, we've gone beyond our brief there and just generally... Um, generally established how we think the tennis world should be. So take notice, everyone. Uh, Beth Fortin on Instagram says, since you travel a lot, not necessarily a very current comment, but yes, Beth, <laughs> uh, since you travel a lot, worst travel stories and best travel tips. Who would like to go first on this one? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, was, I obviously haven't travelled as much as you two. My tip tends to be to try and avoid disasters just just because i'm timorous and worried about things going wrong all the time i tend to be sort of highly organized and have slightly dull travel stories i think and trips i've not really experienced any major disasters but i know for a fact you have so i will happily yeah, see the floor and not for lack of preparation diligence okay. and Yes, Matt. The implication that disaster only befalls the unprepared is... I resent that. <laughs> I i am a get-to-the-airport-three-hours-early person. Are you? Yes. Okay. Look at the look of surprise <laughs> on his face. I am genuinely surprised by that. Yes. <laughs> Right, okay. It's usually Catherine and me who have the tension. <laughs> I've only I've only been late for a flight once and it was my I was with my dad and we were flying home from the US Open and they actually it shut check-in like a minute early. Um and uh, so we weren't able to check in but technically it was their fault. Um we got upgraded to first class. And it was just the best eight hours of my life. They brought a dessert trolley round and I said, can I have one of everything? <laughs> I was like Macaulay Culkin in uh, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Splendid. I had my enormous tennis ball, which I'd got signed by a bunch of tennis players. I was wearing a hoodie, had this enormous tennis ball under my arm and I sat there in first class, just having a little bit of every dessert. Was this in 2004? But that was my dad's fault that I was late for that flight. Sorry, Dad. Yes, 2004. Uh, I had a missed connection, at a, a, well, a missed flight once, having just got there in plenty of time, gone through the, um, the, the bank check-in, got through the other side. I don't know, sat there with my headphones on, um, didn't, didn't sit near a screen, 
and just sort of oh, getting close here. I took my earphone out just to have a listen, and I heard this, I heard something go up and saying, um, uh, "Your flight is leaving." I thought, and I remember thinking, "Oh, that'd be a horrible position to be in, wouldn't it?" <laughs> and I just and I thought no more of it. And a few minutes later, I suddenly realised they'd been calling my name. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I just went hurtling towards the... Uh, this is what I mean. ...the plane, and uh, and it turned out it was me, and I missed the flight. Did you make... Oh, you missed it. Yeah, I had to buy another one, so that wasn't very good. That was, that was in my yeah. early years. I learnt my lesson, uh, but I've had a couple of others. I, I had uh, one, try, one time I went to Australia, and, I mean, this was f- three flights to get from where we are via Dubai and Singapore, and the, the flight to Dubai was at our end late because of bad weather in Birmingham where I was taking off from. And as a result of that, I then missed the connection to Singapore. And the the only way around, I, mean, I can't exactly remember how I ended up. I ended up going to Melbourne and had to go to Sydney as well. And uh, by the time I'd done all that, the whole trip was well over 40 hours. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty grim. Um, it was supposed to be 2022 or something and it ended up being over 40. So, uh, that was, that wasn't great. And then there was the one when I was, uh, in my second year with the ATP and I was at a tournament in Switzerland, the one that, um, Roger Federer first played in Ingolstadt in Switzerland. With the cow. uh, Yes, the cow one, uh, where he got given a cow and there was there was rain for five days, literally for five days with no play at all. So they get to Friday and they're still in the first round. And the next week I've got a tournament in Croatia, which I'm supposed to be there on Saturday for, and yet I'm still there on Friday and we haven't got past the first round yet. So I'm having to stay on. Um, and I, I eventually got to the tournament in Croatia on the on the Wednesday, uh, and the tournament started on the Monday, um, <laughs> so I had to wait for this thing to finish. Um, and then between the Wednesday and the final day, I met my wife. So that was quite good. That ended up all right. You could have had an extra few days with her. <laughs> yeah. So what can oh. I say? <laughs> I uh, I think most of my horror travel story not necessarily horror character building travel stories uh, uh centered around my time on the uh, atp champions tour when i worked for david sometimes i look back on some of those memories and think did i did i really do that um make they all make me sound extremely adventurous but of course at the time you're just sort of going along with things i i got i got quarantined in a hotel room in chengdu I was waiting for Chengdu um, to come up in the worst travel <laughs> stories seg- segment. Yeah, Chengdu was not an epic time uh, in my life. I did subsequently return to Chengdu and eventually got to see the pandas. Um, so I have had a positive Chengdu experience since then. But my first trip there was pretty scarring. Uh, it was sort of just doomed from the the word go. The flight was cancelled and then I missed my connecting flight. And then I got there and was ill and ended up quarantined in this hotel room um and and then the return flight was uh delayed due to horrendous smog 
sat on the tarmac at Chengdu Airport for about eight hours with no air conditioning. Then we were told to disembark the plane and Chengdu Airport only had holes in the ground for toilets. Um, and if, if this is the same trip uh, where I ended up in a in a one-star <laughs> Uh, Beijing Airport Hotel with Evgeny Kafelnikov, Thomas Enquist, uh, and Sergi Bruguera. <laughs> um, so there is it, we go. Is it the mosquitoes Any... one? No, that was in <laughs> Milan. That was an ATP Champions Tour trip to Milan, probably around about 2014, where there were a couple of mosquitoes trapped in my room. Well, actually, there were a lot more than that. Uh, I killed most of them uh, sort of during a period of several hours in the middle of the night, just in a frenzy uh, in my pyjamas on the mattress, just trying to catch mosquitoes. And um, anyway, I couldn't catch them all. I ended up with, I think, more than 30 mosquito bites about my person. Complained to uh, reception numerous times and they sent a maintenance guy who sort of walked in the room and went, oh yeah, mosquitoes, and walked out. Uh, anyway, in the end, they, they said they couldn't possibly move move my room because they were completely full. So um, I, I thought I had actually lost my mind because I, I went and locked myself in the bathroom and I could hear mosquitoes buzzing in my ears in there. Mosquitoes were following me wherever I went. So I picked up my pillow and I took myself downstairs and I <laughs> lay down on the sort of chaise long in the lobby and said, well, if you can't find me a room without flesh-eating uh, insects, then I shall sleep here. And lo and behold, a uh, a room materialised quite quickly because nobody wants a sort of semi-dressed Catherine Whitaker asleep in their f- lobby, it <laughs> turns she, out. Not when she's not happy. Um, can no. you believe? I also, I also got um, detained by the ash cloud, got stranded oh, yeah. in uh, Barcelona and had to had to drive from Barcelona to uh, over the French border, ended up in Montpellier, stayed overnight at a winery in Montpellier. <laughs> Thank you, ATP Champions Tour. That was great. Uh, then hired another car in Montpellier and drove it up to Paris, uh, where in Paris just about managed to get a Eurostar, even, despite just horrendous queues because everybody was trying to get home because there, there were no flights anywhere oh and uh, uh a trip to santiago uh in chile great city uh, but I, I think it was the last of a sequence of quite a lot of long-haul trips and none of my ploys to get upgraded uh, there, was, there was no low that I wouldn't stoop to to try and get uh, upgraded uh, from economy. There's nothing as depressing than sort of uh, bumping into to Pat Cash in the uh, <laughs> at the boarding and then watching him turn left while you turn right. <laughs> you needed so, your dad. Yeah, so I'd had my fill of that. So I thought, right, this time, did a bit of Googling about uh, ways to upgrades. Anyway... I wore a splint and a sling on my right arm. <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> and uh <laughs> didn't work. Uh, so I wore it at check 
uh, word it check in thinking this is this bound to work did my saddest face didn't work there I thought I'll keep it on I'll keep it on because they can still upgrade you at the gate I'll do my most pathetic face at the gate didn't think that all the way through because I then didn't get upgraded at the gate but then you can't remove it straight away so then I had to board the aircraft wearing the sling and the splint but then all the then all of the crew have seen me in the sling and the splint anyway 13 hour flight to Santiago had to keep the splint and the sling on all the way in order to save face (laughs) and it was really itchy and uncomfortable so so I had my come up. That is, yeah, that is the universe getting you back a bit. I think. God, mm-hmm. Matt, can you believe I was desperate, she, she, Matt. She, she still talks to me? And I'm, I sent her on all these all these trips. She was working for me. <laughs> I mean, if you ever wonder why there's a bit of tension, <laughs> it was great. As I said, character building. Mm. Um, so that's two questions. No, three questions. And we're 30 minutes, 30 minutes in. We've got another uh, show next job. week. It's all right. Good job <laughs> we're doing 4,000 podcasts between now and the end of the year. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com tennis. That's homechef.com tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Uh, Hannah Thompson asks, who, if anyone, would you bring into Sitsipas' team to take him up a level? Who should coach Sitsipas? 
Oh, Anyone? Word, that's a good question. I, I think only a consultant type because I just don't think you can remove his dad. If somebody wants to come in and take over and ditch the dad, I don't see that working. I think he 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 can't he can't he needs his dad around. He loves his dad. He wants to be rid of his dad. He doesn't doesn't want him not there. Can um, his dad not be around but n- not coaching him? There yeah, well, are examples I of that. I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't one hundred percent know, but that's why I kind of think if if there could be a consultant that his dad was okay with, somebody who could, because I, the other thing is, I really don't think there's much wrong with Sitsipas's game as it is. There's a couple of tweaks. It seems to me, technically, he needs to smooth out a couple of things. I and I don't know how big those jobs are. The serve one that requires the footwork, as Mary calls it, um, and, and the backhand return, particularly against the big servers and the use of a slice. And just just how best to go about handling his, his own backhand. Uh, but And I don't know how big those jobs are, really. I don't know whether it's sort of, right, employ somebody for two months in an off-season and just sort it, or whether it's somebody you've got to have around all the time. I don't, I don't think mentally he's got, on the court, a big problem or anything like that. I mean, yes, there was that worry over losing those big leads and shanking and all that sort of thing, but his French Open was good. So I kind of think he'll probably work through those things. I think if you took his dad away, he would just be depressed. <laughs> He wouldn't want to be. He wouldn't want to do it. Mm. I always find questions about who should be someone's coach really hard. They're so interesting, but there's so much that goes into a coaching dynamic, and I think you see so many coaching relationships not last very long because so much of it is about personal chemistry and connection rather than necessarily what they're actually telling you about tennis. I think. Um, I think. People do often say that a tennis coach is a bit like, you know, the role is a bit like being a parent in a way and that what your what your aim is is so that they can do it without you, I suppose, because you're not able to help them on the court. And, and I do wonder with Sitsipas's dad, I completely agree with you, David. I think he tried that one week, didn't he, without him in, in Rome, I think. And yeah, he was, he was close to a breakdown, I think, by the end of that, not having his dad around. But perhaps the recognition that something needs to change or something could change needs to come from the dad. He might be the one who needs to say, I still think my voice is important, but I think you need another voice. I think there's something that I can't give you that someone else would be able to give you. And maybe it's not about completely removing that voice altogether, but bringing in someone else or... I don't know. I, I think there is a way that someone could come in and the dead could still remain a crucial part mm. of it. But I'm not sure who's going to be the catalyst of that change, whether it's Stephanos or the dead. I just I don't know. I think my my hunch is that it might in the end have to come from the dead. I, th- I think actually Zverev's dad has, has, has done that in in terms of letting... Alexander have other coaches he he used to be way more involved than he is now he's still there but he's not as big a presence as he was and I don't know whether Sitsipas might have a similar evolution mm. I do when you were saying there about the 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 technical stuff David and I, I'm in the same boat as you in terms of not knowing how how big those tweaks are and how long they might take to correct but in terms of the technical side of things Magnus Norman sprung to mind having yeah. 
having done so much good with Stan Wawrinka in that respect, that chip backhand return, I think, is mm. is the one area that Sitsipas is is lacking for me. Plus, but he's in so terms ego of, free, isn't he, Magnus yeah, Norman? That that would absolutely, and I can mesh. I can see him fitting into a system where there is somebody else significant on the seam, such as Apostolos. Um, but I, there's also a part of me that thinks that sort of kind of aside from the tennis, he needs somebody that after he loses or doesn't quite play his best, just puts it into perspective a bit for him. And I don't mean to, that to sound <laughs> almost one of the things I like so much about Sitsipas is his lack of perspective sometimes. The fact that it is completely life and death to him. Um, but equally, I do think it would be beneficial if he could have somebody travelling with him that would just take him out for a beer after he's lost or, you know, just help him with the lighter side of things in in maybe a fatherly type mentoring role. I mean, Marcus Bagdatis is obviously the one that springs to mind because we know that they have a, a really close pre-existing relationship. Bagdatis has had a bit of a foray into coaching with Svitolina, albeit not not a successful one. But I still think for the right player, he has the potential to be to be a really good coach. And he's such a laid back guy and easy to get along with again i think he could mesh with an existing with an existing setup um but it is going to be interesting how the sits pass the sitsi posse as mary carillo calls it how that <laughs> evolves over time uh it's going to be really interesting uh we have a question from ryan lenehan on twitter who asks if you could change one Wimbledon tradition, what would it be and why? Matt? Um, well, there are two that I would want to change, I think. One is the the wording of all white. I think that's been a regression. I think it was better when it was predominantly white. And I think even allowing colour, I think, would be better than what we currently have with all white for various reasons. And secondly, I would slightly restructure the tournament. Um, I think Wimbledon's the only Grand Slam which doesn't make good enough use of the weekends. I think that's that's when more people can watch. And I think it's a shame that they only use three weekend days in their tournament because they have the Sunday off. I understand why they have to have the Sunday off. I used to hate Middle Sunday as a fan. I now incidentally love it. Um, <laughs> but obviously they need preferably to have a day off so that the grass can um, heal and be more playable in the second week. I understand there are sort of reasons for that. So I guess I would slightly restru restructure to maybe start on a Sunday a bit like the French Open. I don't know. I'm sure Wimbledon wouldn't want to do that, probably. But I think start on a Sunday, play, you know, play a full week, including the middle weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and have the day off on the Monday. Now, that would eradicate Manic Monday as as a thing. That that would no longer be um, a day that would happen where all the round fours are on the same day because you'd have you'd have time to fit them in over two days like the other slams. But... Again, my, my my view on that has probably slightly changed as well. I used to absolutely love that day. Now I think I think I miss too much on that. There is too much great tennis on. Um, so I'd, those are the two I would do: include more weekends and 
change the all-white clothing policy. If the reason for Middle Sunday is is solely the uh, healing, loved loved that word, Matt, of the grass, uh, the spiritual, <laughs> sensual, sexual healing of the grass uh, at Wimbledon. Uh, there are ways to do that and not miss a whole day. You could have a rotation system of, of fallow courts over the course of, say, the Friday to Monday, couldn't you? You could have... I don't know how many courts are there. So you could have four, four or five fallow courts on each of those days rotating, so that each each court had one day of healing, <laughs> um, roughly midway through through the tournament. And then, in terms of the spectator, TV wise, and and mostly um, visitor wise, you you wouldn't miss that much, and you would have a full two weeks of tennis and full two weekends of tennis a crop rotation mm. system like in in medieval agriculture what could be more <laughs> traditional how do you feel about a day off though in a in the middle of a slam oh selfishly love it but um from the outside ludicrous do you think i think i, I if if they could get away with it with the courts i would get rid of it now um, really? Yeah. Because yeah, I would. I would. I. I. Th- I feel like I. D- I. I agree. I. D- I the, the Monday is a mess, really. Although it's it's exciting. It's too much. It's too much all at once, and uh, you can't savor enough of the moments. And and I want to see that spread out a little bit more, personally. Um, and yet, obviously, I love it from a working perspective, but that's that's irrelevant really um mm. the 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 all white rule i'm sort of nostalgic for some of the incredible designs of the 80s that i used to love on the adidas shirts in particular at wimbledon things that edberg and lendl used to wear things that i wanted to own which i'm quite sure i'd not be that fussed about owning just an all white branded just with a logo on it shirt of of nadal federer murray whoever it is because pretty much it's there's there's hardly anything you can do with it um at the same time from a tournament perspective as a brand that's so strong just being all white i think there's a the bigger problem is or the is the 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 lack of consideration for periods uh in that rule um is is definitely a, a an issue um but i i think maybe that nostalgia i have for those predominantly all white designs of the 80s overlooks the the number of horrors that were also accompanying those lovely wonderful one-offs that that i remember because there were so many appalling designs um that that it wasn't all it wasn't all great um the only th- the only other thing I wanted to do is ask you. I mean, you know that I still like queuing, for instance. Now that that things may change because of COVID nineteen for the future. Now I'm I'm quite sure it'll have to change for say next year. But just quickly, I mean, we've Catherine, you and I have talked about this uh, at some length in previous shows. But would you, yes or no, ditch the queue? Yes, I don't think it's fair. I would ditch it as well. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an absolute. A uh, tremendous work of PR 
and I don't I don't mean that as a slight I really do think it's a tremendous work of PR that the queue is this celebrated thing but I think actually uh once you dig dig down into it it's it's a little bit sinister I don't think you should have to sleep rough to obtain tickets to to one of to one of the best and most important sporting events in the country I would also add to that um a kids day I think a kids day is essential and a no-brainer at Wimbledon it's the only Grand Slam that doesn't have one I know why it doesn't have one it's not in keeping with with the brand um use of the grass in ad- in advance of the tournament starting you know they don't hold the the qualifying at Wimbledon but I think those are all things that can be worked around I think find solutions to those problems and have a kids day because they're getting closer to that I think aren't they and as yeah, much as they I are doing so. kids activities on site they're just not doing sure. a big but, fat kids day but we've seen we have seen and I hate the experience <laughs> of being there but I, I've seen the power of those kids days the look the look in those kids eyes at them thinking tennis is just the coolest hmm. um and uh, yeah, I think that's a no-brainer. You mentioned there about the courts not being able to be used before the tournament starts, that kind of thing. Well, I do think when they do have the land across mm. across the road, I I think they can really get creative with it, and I I think they probably mm. will. All the elements of redesign of the Wimbledon grounds have been amazing over the last few years, and I think once they've got that, they've got so much more space. That's the thing, Wimbledon. Wimbledon has the luxury of options and 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 money to implement those options and and to do it well and in keeping with their traditions because they have always nailed that embracing change whenever they've taken that step to make changes in keeping with their tradition they've always nailed it yeah um so i would i would trust them to do all this right if they would just take the step of actually mm. doing it um, and i also believe i'm pretty sure i read something that they were considering relaxing the all-white clothing policy this year obviously it didn't wimbledon didn't happen but i'm not sure how far they will go with that but i think it's something to look out for next year that there might be a subtle change yeah for, for me if it were one thing it would be the all-white clothing policy i feel very strongly about it i I accept that it's a it's an incredibly strong element of Wimbledon's brand. I don't deny that. I'm sure they consider that to be of great value. I don't really care. Um I think <laughs> I think it's extraordinary um that women are made to do physical activity in all white whilst menstruating. I think that's <laughs> unreal when you really break it down and um i think that rule in the first place would have been put into place by someone that's never menstruated and it's perpetuated by virtue of tradition um and it's is again it's a fantastic work of a work of pr but i i think it's unacceptable well said okay so that's about seven things each of us would change <laughs> about Wimbledon, the question only asked for one, but you're welcome, Ryan, for your uh, your bonus balls there. Uh, what else do we have here? Matt Carter 
on Twitter asks, has the trend for tribalistic fan support of players always been a thing or is it a relatively new phenomenon brought about by social media and how detrimental is it to the game? David, you've recently... uh... (laughs) Well, not recently, you have consistently uh, and repeatedly got on the wrong side of uh, of vehement Twitter fan support of various tennis players. What's your take on this question? My, my favourite one was when in the same day I had notes from Djokovic, Federer and Nadal fans telling me how appallingly I treat their specific <laughs> player. I really enjoyed that one. Um, Th- there was a message on our Instagram this week saying... Um, I see. I see. Catherine is is picked Sitsipas to win Vienna in the newsletter. It's usually David that picks Sitsipas for things. I'm surprised that Sitsipas uh, that Catherine, who usually never picks Sitsipas, has picked Sitsipas. And shame on Matt for never ever picking Sitsipas. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I'm quite. I'm quite. Every, people used to support players, and and there used to be fantastic divides of. I remember being – you were either a Borg or a McEnroe fan. I remember those years. I remember in in Australia in the early years that I discovered the Australian Open, the incredible support of the Swedes and the chanting that went on between rival support groups. But you just weren't – I just don't feel that unless you were in a tennis stadium, you weren't really aware of of people's fandom. That's the difference. Yes, the the mud. I'm sure journalists got sent letters when they wrote about a player or something like that. But it's just this this freedom of an opinion, isn't it? This freedom of of being able to say whatever you like, whenever you like, on social media, whenever it occurs to you, fire it off. Make sure, unless they're blocked, make sure the person you're directing it towards reads it and has it right in front of their face immediately. Uh, and it's it just it just ends up self-perpetuating as a result of that. So I do feel like the the tribal element in tennis certainly is is largely a result of, of social media. I do feel that. I mean, I think it's it's brought about initially by very strong ties to a player of note. And these players have been around for a long time. So people have got enough time to build those real affiliations and stick with them and then go at each other as a result. But the way that it kind of gets out of hand, I think, is a social media element, and and I mean, I've I do feel like I've wanted to remove myself from it compared to what I used to feel like. I, I it bothers me now much much more than it used to. Mm. I mean, I think passionate support is is a good thing. It's I wouldn't I wouldn't say it is detrimental to the game. I think it's, but I think it can easily tip from passionate support into abuse i think on social media I, I the main issue i have with social media and tennis is the way that we've we've seen quite a lot of players be open about the messages they receive just just from losing a match that someone had bet on them to win i mean that i believe the sport is doing something to to combat that and to expose the people who do send those messages but i think in terms of fan support on social media i think one of the shames for me is that any kind of discussion about Federer, Nadal or Djokovic ends up a kind of pile on from the other set of fan 
spaces. And that's a shame. I also think it's weird how that's happened when you consider the actual people that they're supporting who have never conducted themselves like that. But I think it says more about social media than it does tennis. Um, but it's interesting that you think it's bigger now, this this idea of fan support because of social media. Um, and I suppose that, that does make sense. It may just be a perception thing, though, because I can see it. I I can't... You can turn a blind eye, but if you want to be involved in a conversation and comment about some about a, a tennis match or a tennis player, you've got to accept that you you are you're out there to be piled on. If 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 you say something that is against a fan base's player, it can't just be perception, though, can it? Because there are things that people say on social media that they simply wouldn't say in real life wouldn't have opportunity to because there'd be no one there to listen to them i wouldn't have (laughs) i don't know wouldn't have wouldn't have a platform or or audience for it i mean i do think i am instinctively uncomfortable with the word fan now which i i can't remember when that happened whether it's always been the case i don't remember it changing or feeling like it had changed changed but to me, the word fan inherently means irrational and unreasonable support. As you say, there's a distinction now for me between passionate support of someone. And I watch sport and passionately support people and teams. But there's a there's a difference between that and fandom, which for me implies something of the irrational and the inability to be reasonable and kind of anybody that describes themselves as a fan. And this is probably unfair because there are plenty of people that would describe themselves as a fan and mean it by what I consider to be my old definition, David, as you described sort of Borg and McEnroe fans. I kind of disregard their views on things. If if they describe themselves as a fan, because I think, well, you're not applying reason, logic or rationality to what you're saying. And I know that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater because there will be plenty of self-described fans Almost that are able to apply those things. But but I I am edgy about that word. I, I feel um, that we, we and need, I, we and need I a feel new like word. social media is a is a massive contributor to to my my change in perception of that word. Yeah, we'll support. I mean. For example, you you're a you're a fan of a football team, aren't you? And I think we'd all admit and understand that we're all completely irrational about the the football teams that that we support. That is fandom, and that is it is tribal. Football is tribal. It's inherently very tribal. Tennis hasn't always been that way, um, but it does feel like it's it's become it. I agree with you um, there. I feel like it's. I feel sorry for people who are proper fans, are fans mm. who are decent in their way they carry themselves, because this isn't the same thing at all. When I was a kid, there was something called football hooliganism, and they tried to hide under the name fan. And I used to go to grounds and feel awful as a kid when hooliganism was going on around me and I, I remember seeing it now this is virtu- this is sometimes this this becomes a virtual version of that and 
it really does bother me. It's and it's not. It isn't fair on the the many listeners who are listening to this thing. Well, I'm a fan, and I'm I wouldn't do behave like that, you know. And and so you you almost need a new word. I feel like the way we we ended up having hooligan to describe the people that mm. carried out what was just violence, not not supporting a team, but but bringing shame on that team. And that's and that's what a lot of these people do. I feel is they bring shame on the player that they are connecting themselves with in order to dish out abuse mm. and they can find a sense of community and belonging in it because because you'll say something of that type on twitter and then immediately 25 other people will pop up to defend you um and you'll feel a sense of belonging and validation i think that's what you can get from twitter you can you can find validation in your views no matter how unsavory or irrational whereas before you could just have your views and they'd be knocking around in in your head um but you wouldn't have anyone to to validate them and feel like they were worth shouting from from the rooftops um so i do think i do think things have changed um yeah sadly Oh, what a wonderful world. Okay, we've got uh we've got a couple of minutes left. Do you think we can cover off what are the worst five set matches you've had to sit through from Chris Ayres in that time? I'm going with Kevin Anderson against John Isner at Wimbledon. <laughs> that was my one. <laughs> what was it two years ago? Because of so many reasons. Yeah. I mean I think it was six hours and thirty six minutes. It was twenty six twenty four in the fifth. It was the match that brought about the the fifth set tiebreak at Wimbledon for the first time and was basically announced by Tim Hemman on live television, even though he couldn't officially do it. He knew it was going to have to happen or that it was coming, and therefore he thought he'd, he'd get it in there <laughs> so that everybody would calm down. It's the match that pushed back Nadal against Djokovic so that they couldn't get the thing done in the night that it, on the day it was supposed to be played. It was called off at about 11pm at two sets to one, ended up carrying over to the next day, causing the women's final to be a not before and i mean i'm so, i mean it's i don't mean this as a as a, a as disrespect to kevin anderson and john isner who who played an excellent match the way they play matches but because of the styles that they have put them against each other and it's a snorefest for the most part um we had justin gilmore stop standing up for the whole match in the front row of the players box with his fist raised in the direction of john isner and most people I know were just hoping it would would end. Now that's that's not me just saying, "Oh, uh, five set tennis has no place anymore." But the worst thing you can ever have in five is a five set match where the players are not playing well at the same time. That that's when when I I tune out. To be honest. Oh, what a joy it was to relive <laughs> that match, David. <laughs> Feel free to add to that. <laughs> Matt, have you got anything worse than that? <laughs> well, the caveat for me on that one is that I didn't watch it. I, I was I was working at Wimbledon that year and I was I was on a shift. I didn't have to watch that. By the end, I was kind of enjoying it. Just, oh, Matt. <laughs> just because it reached that stage where how, how absurd can it get? And part of me does enjoy that. Um, but as I said, I didn't have to watch it. And I think it was... A bore. Um, the worst one, this might be recency bias, but the worst one for me is uh, Zverev Karenio Busta, 
the other week mm. at the US Open. <laughs> Perfect example of not playing well at the same time. Yeah, I mean, both playing badly at the same time. Um, <laughs> I, I would also add in on the recency bias front, uh, Diego Schwartzman and Cameron Norrie at the US Open. I was going to say Cameron Norrie in the first <laughs> round the year before. Which oh god, the one Mary, the one Mary had to got commentate. stuck commentating on while <laughs> Serena Sharapova was going on uh, on the Ash Stadium. Um, oh, poor Cameron Norrie. <laughs> speaking of Twitter, I do remember Twitter being excellent during that uh, Zverev Karenia Buster match I mentioned. I, I tweeted from the mm. podcast account: What techniques have you all found to make it through Karenia Buster versus Zverev? And we had about 90 replies and, uh, <laughs> some, you know, some of them were just, you know, making memes, doing other things, answering emails, cleaning the kitchen, mowing the lawn, <laughs> filling out the census, making salads, <laughs> drinking, playing online Scrabble, gone to bed, turned it off, you know, so... <laughs> oh, that's so great. Were Coping mechanisms. Yeah. Oh, what a great note to end on. Um, we got loads more questions, so uh, we'll be doing more of these. Uh, and we'll be back on Monday, won't we, to talk about tennis. Uh, we'll be wrapping up Vienna, looking ahead to Paris, uh, the ATP Masters 1000 event happening there. As we stand at the moment, we are expecting it still to happen, uh, despite the fact that uh, France and Paris is going into pretty much a full national lockdown this week. Um, the understanding at the moment and the latest we've heard is is from Chris Clary uh, on Twitter is that they think that sporting events will still go ahead. They're, they're waiting for the final specific uh, green light from the government. But the understanding at the moment is that the Paris Masters uh, will go ahead in behind closed doors obviously and in in very strange and uncertain circumstances um but such is the world we're living in i mean the situation in in london in the uk is extremely uncertain at the moment we understand that the, the atp finals will go ahead regardless of the lockdown status in the uk but anyway enough of that misery <laughs> let's just keep making podcasts to uh to keep our minds off it all shall we Good idea. <laughs> Let's do that. Matt, we have shout outs. Who would we like to shout out to today? We have Chris Kamara. Hey, Chris. Like Chris Kamara? No. Right. <laughs> K-U-M-M-E-R-E-R. This one's better. A, li a little bit like Chris Kamara, though. Yeah, sort of. Imagine being a bit it, like Chris it's Kamara. A Chris that Kamara, must be fun. Roger Federer merge. Oh, come I, on. I definitely prefer our Chris Kamara. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scott Levy or Levy. I know people, I know there's some debate over how that's well, pronounced. If you're going with the, the Levies of Shit Creek, Shit's Creek fame, then it's obviously Levy. But if you're going with our, our dear friend, David Zilver quite Levy, then Levy. Do quite let the us debate. know, Scott, and thanks for your support. Mm. <laughs> and finally, to Vin Allen the Win. Like Vin Diesel. <laughs> v I N H. A little bit like Vin Diesel. Well, thank you for your support, whatever. <laughs> God, we've got cool listeners. Right then. 
<laughs> we, we have <laughs> got cool you. listeners, haven't we? It's Thank great. you for all your support and hello. We'll be back with another Teddy's podcast on Monday. There'll be two of them next week. Um, plenty more questions if we didn't get to yours. I'm sure we will uh, eventually, unless it was rubbish and uh, it wasn't selected for answering. <laughs> but there, were, <laughs> there weren't many of those. Um, so thanks very much for sending all your questions in. Uh, hello to all of our mascots. Hello, Cam. Uh, hanging in there. Um, we're thinking of you. And we'll speak to you soon. 